you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 and 5 this morning. It's Acts chapter 4 and 5. All right. I'm glad you're here this morning. It is Mother's Day, and I just wanted to let you know that if you're here and you just realized that, like you just made that connection, I went this morning to Walmart. I bought the last three Mother's Day cards, and they'll be for sale in the lobby for $70 after the service. No, that's not true at all. I'm just kidding. We're in Acts 4 and 5. I know you're there by now. And I got to start with a story this morning. And, and before I get too deep into this story, I just kind of need to relax everybody a little bit, okay? That one, pastors are people too, okay? We deal with stuff. We struggle with stuff. We get frustrated, normal things. And as I share this, this is something that God did in my life about five years ago. Um, but everything's good now. Love this place. It was good then too. And it was nothing that happened here. It wasn't anybody. It was an own, my own personal struggle that I was having. But about five years ago, I really began to question my call to ministry. And there's certain seasons you go through as a pastor where you're kind of will get that every now and then. And a lot of times I always looked at it as, hey, you know, this is, this is like a safety check. Like I need to ask this question because I need to make sure that I am being obedient to what God wants me to be. But this particular season, it had a little bit of a different twinge to it. Because what really had happened is some of my sinfulness and my ego had started to surface, and I was starting to get really frustrated. And it wasn't a particular person. It wasn't anything that this church did or didn't do or anything like that. It was purely a battle within myself. And at some point, I had started to believe in my head these little lies that the enemy had been whispering to me. And I started to become frustrated. And it was over small things that, you know, now when I look back at it, like it doesn't even make sense in my brain of why I was frustrated. And it began to de- come and develop over time to the point that I was starting to really question, do, am I supposed to be in ministry at all? Like, is this what I'm supposed to, am, am I supposed to be doing this? And even within that time, there were these moments where I'd have a great conversation with a student and, and a lot of good things were happening. But in my heart, I was really starting to question what I was doing. And this began to grow and it began to fester within me. And I don't know if you've read in Scripture that much. You know, this might be a new experience for you being here. But there's these passages in Scripture that talk about when somebody's heart is hardened. And some of them we kind of wig out about and we don't know what to do with when it says that God hardens someone's heart. But I really feel like in this moment, this season in my life, God chose to harden my heart and let me entertain the thought of leaving the ministry. To the point that I feel like what he did to me for the benefit of me is he hardened my heart and said, okay, I'll tell you what. You've got this lie within you that you would be more effective in a public workplace ministering to people than you would be in the church. So I'm going to let you explore that, Matt. I'm going to let you get really close. And so I actually went for a couple job interviews. And in my head, in the back of my mind, I'm sitting there and going like, well, this, I'm not taking the job. I'm just seeing what this is like. And so I went into this one interview, and it went really well, and it was for this marketing job over in Greensboro, and I remember sitting there, and the interview goes good, and we have some follow-up emails, and it's going really good, and all of a sudden, I think I'm about to take this job. We're having these emails back and forth, and I mean, like, we're at that point in the conversation where the next time they contact me, it should be, hey, great to have you on the team, when can you start? And so I remember I'm sitting in front of my computer, and I got a new Word document open, and I'm getting ready to type. Because I know I need to type out a letter of resignation. And I'm sitting there, and I type out the first phrase. And I'm sitting there, and I type it in, and I said, It has been a privilege to dot, dot, dot. And for the first time in a few months, I felt something like jump within my spirit. 
I felt I felt God kind of say something to me at that moment. I'm sitting there and I type that out, and all of a sudden it's like Matt. I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to knock. That was bad. I'm sorry. Um, he says, Matt, do you have the job? I'm like, well, that's a good point. I mean, like it's it's pretty much gonna happen, but but that's a good point. So I just like you know I saved it as the letter and put it on my desktop, and I can put it over the side. And over the next couple of days, I don't hear anything. Over the next couple of weeks, I don't hear anything. I kind of start asking around, poking, and they they never respond. And all of a sudden, it's like this thing completely disappeared. And a couple weeks later, I'm sitting on my back porch and I'm I'm praying. I'm sitting there talking to God, and I'm like, "What happened?" And God reminded me of something between me and Him. The way He's kind of spoke to me in my life is He asked me this question. He says, "Matt, have you ever had to go looking for a door to open to pursue down the path of life I've laid before you? Have you ever had to search for my will?" in these major decisions. And I'm like, no, it's always been like, the door's like right here. Like it comes up right at the right time. I might not know, but it's always there. And so, so why are you looking now? And I kind of realized something at that moment. I realized that God had shut every door where I'd tried to step out. By the grace of God, that's what he'd done. And it led me to this thinking, because at that point I'm sitting there and I'm like, how did I get here? Like, how am I sitting in front of a computer at this church that I love with these people that I love and the town I grew up in? How did I get to a point where I'm sitting here typing this in and I start to think about the first line that I was typing? It has been my privilege. Because here's what happened. At one point in history, I had taken a job here. I'd been attending here. I'd become a member here. And, man, it was such a privilege to be a part of what God was doing here. But then my selfishness and my greed and my sinfulness kind of stepped in the way, and that privilege started to become a burden. And all of a sudden, I found myself getting up on a Sunday morning or getting up during the week to come into the office, and it wasn't getting out of bed like, okay, here we go, and let me pray and make sure my heart's centered because I'm getting ready to walk into the service of the Lord. Is I'd get up, and I'm like, oh, how am I going to survive today? How am I going to make it through a Sunday? And somebody will walk up to me and go, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, that's good, pastor. Yeah, faith and things, which is like one of those things I told Brittany, if I'm ever a fake pastor, punch me. It's because at some point I believed a lie from the enemy to put a question and a frustration in my mind that this privilege God had given me was now a burden. And that was the lie that I'd let settle in my heart. And so here's my guest this morning. I think some of you are right there. God gave me this message. That's the only assumption I can make is that some of you are in a situation in life right now that it might have been a privilege, and now it's a burden. That all of a sudden you're starting to resent. You're starting to struggle with. You're starting to look for ways out. Because what once was a privilege, this relationship, this job, this place you just moved, what was once a calling, which was once a place where you volunteered with excitement at what was going to happen and what God was going to do, now all of a sudden it's become, oh yeah, it's our week again. Because this is what we're attacking this morning. And when we get to the end of the message, man, I don't have an immediate application for you. 
my hope is that when you leave here this morning, that for the rest of your life, your radar is up when you're in a situation and it suddenly starts to become a burden. It starts to become resentful. And we're going to look at a situation where, if I'm really honest, if anybody was going to start to view their situation in life as a burden, these guys should have. Okay, we're going to look in the book of Acts. And this is a little weird because normally the first five chapters in the book of Acts, we look at and we see it and we look at what's happening and we say, man, if, if only that was happening in the church now. Because there's some crazy things happening in the book of Acts. There are people right there at the beginning just coming to know Christ, coming to know Christ, being added to their number. God's calling them to himself over and over again. And there's these miraculous signs that are happening. We look at those and go, oh, that's why the miraculous is happening, and that's why people are coming. But when we look at the leaders of this movement, the earthly leaders that God is using, the apostles, you've got to understand all the ugliness and difficulty that they're facing in the middle of this. Think about Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down and gives people the ability to speak flawlessly other languages in order to share the gospel. And what's the reaction of the people that they're trying to speak to right then? They're crazy. Are they drunk? Like, what's happening? They're just, they're just babbling. What's going on? And Peter has to step up and he has to say to them, no, 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 no. They're not crazy. They're not drunk. Guys, it's only lunch. Okay, that's a little extreme. All right. They're, they've been the power of the Spirit, and he explains to them, and he tells them what hap- what's happening, and then the church continues to grow. But as we're going to see, within this growth, there's struggle. There's difficulty. There's frustration. There's things that should have absolutely beaten down both emotionally, spiritually, and physically, the people that God was working through. But as we're going to see, they had a heart condition to see things with an eternal view. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, verse 1, we have Peter and John, and it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain and the temple of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So just to be clear, here's what happened to these two guys who were doing the work of God and proclaiming him within the temple. The religious leaders of the time get annoyed and basically put them in kind of like a temporary jail and holding for the night. And then they take them out, and the next day they begin to question them. By what means do they do this? What are they doing? Now let's stop right there for a minute, okay? Because if that's us, and the leaders around here suddenly take you from what you're doing and what you've been called to do, and they put you in jail for the night, And then they call you into a room, and as you can go back and read a little later, but basically they say, what are you doing? And it's not a, just please explain to us what you're doing. It's a, what are you thinking? Why are you doing this? It's a discouraging questioning. They are being questioned about who they are and what they are doing. Like for most of us right there, if that happened to us and we stop right there and we're just questioned about what we're doing and we've been detained because of what we're doing, we show up the next Sunday and we go into a Sunday school class and when somebody asks how your week was, you go, oh, I just had a terrible week. 
went to jail for a night. The mayor called me in. He was not happy. But it doesn't stop there. It gets worse than that because Peter responds, and he says this phrase in the middle of the response, okay? In verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And how do those leaders respond in verse 21? And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. They're not just questioned. They're threatened. If you speak the name of Jesus again, then da 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 Now keep in mind, the people who are saying this are the ones that pushed for Jesus to be crucified. They roused the people up. And now Peter and John, his disciples, are standing there, and they're sitting there threatening them again. But something really interesting happened. Because he says something right there. He says, For, but we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. Now, a big part of that is because they are so moved by what God is doing. But another part of that is just the practical human existence. We instinctively cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. Whatever the most miraculous, amazing thing is that's going on in your life, you run to it in conversation. If you walked out the door right now and somebody had the keys to a brand new car, paid for, covered, they'll even take care of insurance, and they just hand it to you, $80,000 vehicle, here you go, and you go to grab lunch at your mom's. Are you going to be singing the praises of Mother's Day? Hey, Mom, want to go for a ride in my car? All next week you're going to talk about it. For the next few months you're going to talk about it. For the next few years you're going to talk about it. Guys, when you see an amazing play in sports, we go to that one all the time. What do we do? We text our friends. Vince Carter's 41. He still dunked on somebody. What? We instinctively do that. And so they experience this. They go through this, and he tells them we can't stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. And they've been detained. They've been questioned. They've been threatened. And then they leave the presence of them. And what do you think happens right then? Like maybe they were just faking Okay, like for the evangelistic purpose. Like maybe one of them accidentally showed up at that place with a Christian T-shirt on and goes, oh, oh no, i got to rep now. And so maybe they were just saying that for them. But what would tell that is when they left there and they went back with their friends and told them what happened, what's their attitude about what just happened? Because we're going to look at that passage in a minute, but let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say they went back to their friends and it went like this. Guys, did you see what happened on the news this week? Oh, it's horrible, isn't it? Just can't believe that happened. It's terrible. You know, so-and-so's sick. They're not doing well. It's rough, isn't it? Man, let me just tell you about how, how I, I just had a rough week. I just can't even go into it, guys. Okay, I got a headache. We were in prison all night. Like, migraine. Okay, it's it's happening. Can I add something to the prayer request form? Just I'm just really, I got it unspoken this week. I'm just struggling. Okay, they exist in a sinful, broken world just like we do. But here's what happens when they get back and tell their friends what happened. In verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said. So they reported the bad news. Or what we think, what we interpret as bad news. They tell them we were questioned, detained, and threatened. But they don't stop at the earthly problem. They keep going. 
And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's a statement of praise. That's a statement of proclaiming the greatness of God. And that's what us, we as a church, when we gather, that's something we got to start practicing. We got to quit stopping on how bad the world is, the sinful, broken world. And we got to keep going to the answer to the sinful, broken world the salvation, the grace, the mercy, and Savior that is Jesus Christ. You see, they don't stop on the bad news. Because the eternal trumps the earthly. They don't come together and just talk about their earthly problems. They passionately pursue the eternal glory of God and are determined to proclaim it. Because if you know this passage, you know what happens next. They continue to pray, and what do they ask for at the end of this prayer? Boldness in proclaiming his name, and the entire place where they were gathered is shaking. But this isn't the end of the rough stuff they go through. You see, there's good and bad in what's happening here. Because in the next passage, it talks about how great everything is within the body of believers. But then shortly after that, you get to chapter 5, and you find out that there's two people within this church family who are being manipulative and are trying to make a name for themselves, and they're literally struck dead in their sin in the presence of everyone. And you can keep reading this passage if you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, how they came and they lied to the Holy Spirit about what they were going to do and tried to be manipulative, and then they died right there. A lot of times we read that passage, and we think that when it happens, Peter's like in the Superman pose. Like he says something like, how dare you lie to the Holy Spirit? Oh, you're dead. Let me just give you a heads up. As the church, when somebody dies in their sin, we grieve. So don't read that passage like that went well with Peter, like it settled well with him. He literally just saw two of his flock, two of his people die in their sin. And then we see there are more miraculous signs. But then in verse 17 of chapter 5, they get called back in. And it's not just Peter and John this time, it's all of the apostles. And it's the high priest and the Sadducees, and they're all there again in verse 17 of chapter 5. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Notice last time they detained them. This time they grabbed all of them, and they threw them in public prison. They're stepping it up a little bit. They're going to handle this this time. In verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and bought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. I'm just going to give you a little uh, earthly wisdom notifier here. I don't think their move to actually leave the prison was an earthly wise decision. I don't know if you've ever known anybody who has left or broken out of prison. It normally doesn't end well. It doesn't make the situation better. It doesn't help calm things down and make your life easier. And so right here in this next section, you kind of see that. The high priest comes in. He says, go get them. They say they're not there. And then some guy says, oh, they're uh, at the temple doing that thing we threatened them not to do. And so they finally get them there. And it says in verse 27, and when they had brought them, 
they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter responds, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is his Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So you have the apostles. Two of them have already been arrested, have been through this whole routine. They've been threatened. Now you have the rest of the apostles. They're there. They've, they've been thrown into prison, and they got out of prison. Now they're back. Now they're sitting there with the same guys that kind of organized, you know, made, pushed for Jesus to be killed and kind of got the crowd rallied up, and they're sitting there so they know that they can do this because they've done it before. And now they want to kill them, and you've got to get this, this, the idea because it's written down here. There was an awareness to the apostles that they were getting ready to be killed. Man, this is kind of a burden, isn't it? Like, I mean, you know, in, in, the, in their situation, you sit there and you think, well, if God's calling them to be the leaders of the church and Peter's the rock and then we're going to, like, reach the entire world and go to all the nations and the end of the earth, then why are we getting ready to be killed right now? Because God has a plan. In the next few minutes, it's not going to be real fun for the disciples, even though they're not going to be killed. Because one of the one of the leaders kind of calls a timeout, and he basically says, "Hey guys, uh, we've seen uprisings like this before, like these kind of like trendy things, and they just fade away." And he said, "And also, let's just say this is a movement of God. Could we stop it? We might even be seen oppo- as opposing God." And so they they agree they're not going to kill him. But here's what they do in verse forty: and when they had called in the apostles. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, we read through this a lot, and a lot of times we skip over the they beat them part. Okay? Because, like, let's, let's just review how this local church thing has gone. Like, yes, there's lots of people coming to know Christ, and there's signs, and there's healings, and all these things. But at the same time, you have mocking, you have questioning, you have threatening. You have your own church in the chapter before and the chapter that's coming after starting to have some, some, some issues within it. And now you've been beaten. And just to clarify, this isn't like a slap, hey, don't do that again, smack. We're talking about 39 lashes. 39 lashes, okay? A lot of people thought that this sometimes would accidentally kill someone. So they don't kill them, but they they beat the stuffing out of them. And so how do you think they leave now? First off, I can tell you this. They're not skipping down the road. Okay, when you've been beaten like that, you can imagine, like, they're hobbling. They're, they're probably, uh, like, probably when the council says you can go, they're all laying bloodied on the floor. Like, no joke, physically, they're not in good shape. But in the next verse, 41, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Like, is this astounding to anybody else? 
These guys are beaten and leave rejoicing. Why? Because they're humbled that they were considered worthy. They're humbled at the privilege to proclaim the name of Christ. If they're burdened by all this, if they're frustrated, man, they're out. I can't, I can't take this anymore. See, that's the difference between the privilege and the burden. That's the difference between looking at a, your relationship with your husband or your wife as a privilege or a burden. That's the difference between having a difficult family member or child and looking at them as a privilege or a burden. And that's the question I want to sow into you right now. And I know, like, like right now, the last couple of things I've had, they've been good, they've been applicable, they've been a little self-help. But the one thing I want to make sure you see as a privilege is not a burden is knowing Christ as your Savior. Because here's the reality as we sit in the room this morning. Some of us in this room, we just kind of come to church on Sunday and sit through a service, maybe every other Sunday. If your relationship with God is a privilege and not a burden, why are we not eager to get here every week and sing praises to God? At that point, we don't sit in bed with our... Or, or the night before and sit there and go, well, we worked in the yard all day and we got a bunch of games happening this weekend and all this stuff. And, yeah, we could probably squeeze this in, but, but I'm just tired. No, you wake up eager to come and worship with other believers. What about those of you in the room who've served in this church in various areas or currently are? Maybe a student ministry, maybe it's with the golf carts or the welcome team or, or a Sunday school teacher or work with kids. If it's a burden, you wake up and go, oh, yeah, it's my week. i got to go do that. All right, well, let's go. If it's a privilege, then you wake up, and if you're going to work with kids, it goes like this. Man, this morning, God is giving me the privilege of being used by him to point the next generation to a loving, gracious Heavenly Father. I'm not saying that when it's a privilege, it's not tiring, it's not difficult, it's not hard at times. But do you think getting beaten to death almost and being told not to speak and watching this new movement, the church, guess what? There's not another church in town. They can't just go and go somewhere else. Privilege or burden? Let's talk to the believers in the room about the reality of sharing your faith. If you view telling someone about this wonderful God as something that you're supposed to do or have to do, it's tough, isn't it? You hear us sit up here and talk about the Great Commission and how the growth of the church is going to be reliant on individuals within the church proclaiming his name. And all of a sudden, it's this very fearful wall that you build up between you and telling somebody about Christ. Because in your mind, well, what if I misspeak and what if... What if I don't know how to do this and all this stuff? And it's this thing that you just you have to do, but you don't really know how to do? Or is it a privilege you have? When you walk out of this room, do you have the privilege of telling someone 
who otherwise would spend eternity in hell and spend the rest of their life only having the pleasures of this world, you have the privilege of telling them that they can know the Savior and Creator of the world. All of a sudden, the anxiety's out. All of a sudden, the fear's moved over. All of a sudden, you have this relationship with this God, and you have to tell other people about it. Now, look, I'm a realist, okay, and there's passages in Scripture that talk about the renewing of your mind. The expectation this morning is not that suddenly you jump from burden to privilege. The expectation this morning is that you begin the process of renewing your mind. All right, because listen to me. On a weekly basis, you have the privilege of coming into this room, crying out, singing songs of praise to a glorious God, hearing Michael or whoever's speaking come up here and give you words of life, the words of our Savior. And at any time, you have the opportunity personally to enter the throne room of God in prayer and absorb His Word through study. And a lot of times at this point in the service, we end up back at these basics. That's the process of you becoming more and more who God designed you to be. And we tell you that, and you go, yeah, yeah, I got that. Yep, said it last week. 357 weeks before that, yep. And it's this checklist thing. It's this thing that, oh, yeah, I should do that. It's this thing that you feel guilt over, that you haven't done that. Do you understand the privilege of entering the throne root of God? I was listening to a sermon a couple weeks ago, and a pastor was talking about, like, the fear that heaven's going to be boring. And he said he never understood that. He said, when I read through Scripture and I hear these descriptions of heaven and being in the full, perfect presence of God, he said, I never get the sense that you walk into the throne room of God surrounded by all these people and creatures crying out to His glory, and you see His majesty, and you sit there and go, wait, what's the score? Hold on, i got to check Instagram real quick. Just, just hold on. Yeah, worthy, worthy. No. Why? Because of the privilege of the moment. And you have that. You have that at any point in your day. And it's not a checklist thing. It's not something you do or don't do and feel guilty. It is something that is available to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus that you can walk up to the throne of God and connect with him at any moment. So I'm not asking you to do that to make that a priority. I'm not saying you need to do that or else. I'm making you aware of a few basic things that is we are in danger of at times of becoming more of a burden than a privilege. And so in just a minute, the band's going to come up. They're going to close this out in a couple songs. And in the very last song, there's going to be some people up front. And maybe you walked in this morning and before the band started playing or we started speaking, there was already something that you need, just needed to pray with somebody about, talk to somebody. They're going to be up here at the very end, last song. But during this next song, the phrase I want you to stick in your head, the one I want you to take you 
take out the door and begin to apply in your life is that privilege or burden. How are you viewing your relationship with God? Is something you have to do? Or is a humbling sinner who is saved by grace and it's amazing that you get to do it? Let's pray this morning.